Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The 2018 Concert of Colors is coming up in July, and you can suggest a song to be performed by the Don Was All-Star Review. This year's theme is Detroit Rock City, so go to WDET.org. Enter your favorite rock song about Detroit or your favorite rock song by a Detroit band or artist. Then plan to attend the free concert at Orchestra Hall with WDET's Ishmael Ahmed and Anne DeLisi on Saturday, July 14th. This year, a second concert has been added on July 15th at the Michigan Theater in Jackson, Michigan. Up first today, there is a pervasive fear among environmentalists that it will take a catastrophe, oil flowing out of Line 5 under the Mackinac Straits and into our waterways, for officials to really understand how grave the potential danger is. Line 5 is 60 years old, and every few months, it seems, we are reminded of how precarious its condition is. In recent weeks, a dragging anchor on a large vessel knocked three dents in the line and ruptured a coolant line, spilling its chemicals into the Great Lakes. This week, Detroit Public Television presents a new documentary called Beneath the Surface, the Line 5 Pipeline in the Great Lakes. It debuts tomorrow, April 25th at 10 p.m. with a roundtable discussion afterward on the future of Line 5. Here's a clip. Broken support beams, dents, cracks, corrosions, and at any moment it could rupture and contaminate 20% of the world's fresh surface water. It is a very dangerous pipeline. We are putting our beautiful Great Lakes in, in great danger. We're North America's largest energy infrastructure company. We know how to do it right. We know how to do it safely. That body of water is one of the most precious in the world. What's at stake is a freshwater drinking source for millions of people, an economy that completely depends on the health of the Great Lakes. Line 5 is, is very safe. We understand people's concerns. It would destroy every kind of economy, and the natural ecosystem would be devastated for years. Will people a century from now see a mother load of clean water or a wasteland? Joining us now to talk more about the DPTV documentary Beneath the Surface and about the condition of Line 5 is Mary Ellen Geist. She is the Detroit Public Television Great Lakes Bureau Chief and producer of Beneath the Surface. Mary Ellen, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much, Stephen, for having me. Mm -hmm. Also here is Beth Wallace. She is the Great Lakes Partnerships Manager for the National Wildlife Federation. Beth. Welcome to Detroit Thank Today. Thank you for having me. Uh, and as always, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. So that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Tell us whether you think Line 5 is a pressing, a pressing issue here in uh, the state of Michigan. Uh, does it rise to your level of interest when it comes to politics and what candidates say they think about the line and its condition? Again, 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. I want to start the conversation here. Uh, we, we heard in that clip people talking about the danger uh, of this line. We read frequently, I think, in local media about that danger and see uh, documentaries like Beneath the Surface. 
Talk about what the real risks posed by the line are. It is a 60-year-old line. Uh, Enbridge says, eh, it's okay. We're taking care of it, and we're very well aware of its age and its condition. How how concerned should we be that something could happen to this line? I would like to defer to Beth on that because mm-hmm. she really is a pipeline expert. And I want to say, without Beth Wallace and the National Wildlife Federation, we might not even know that Line 5 exists. And perhaps that is an answer to your question. We don't know enough about what's going on there. And, right. you know, we had hoped to answer many questions. We've been really filming this documentary for more than a year because we wanted to end the misinformation, try to get some real answers. We were talking in the lobby as we waited to come here about how maybe it's more questions than answers. We don't have enough of the answers. And I think we tried to answer as many as we could in the documentary. But I want to say that all the work that Beth has done has really revealed so much about this. And I think you know the most about it. So as far as danger, I have more questions than answers right now. How about you? How could you really answer that specifically? (laughs) Do we know at this point? Yeah, we started out on this journey in 2010 after the the large one of the largest inland oil spills in U.S. history mm-hmm. happened in the Kalamazoo River. Right, and it was caused by an average pipeline. Right, correct. It was 15 years younger that pipeline. So Line Five actually turned 65 yesterday. 65, right? Yeah, right. and so the age alone is a concerning factor, and then the location, obviously, through the Straits of Mackinac, where it splits from a 30-inch pipeline inland to two 20-inch pipelines through the Straits. Um, is very concerning because it is not only susceptible to the environment, um, which is very dynamic in that location, but it's also susceptible to um, the the traffic, the vessels in that area. And we learned the hard way uh, three weeks ago now that um, that risk is very real and that at any point it's, it's out of Enbridge's hands. They can claim to maintain the pipeline to their best ability, but there's always going to be that risk factor of yeah. another another uh, party potentially impacting that. Somebody else acting neg- negligently yeah. and uh, doing something that, that puts the pipeline at risk. You're talking about uh, just a few weeks ago that this anchor mm-hmm. that was being dragged uh, behind uh, a large vessel catches on part of the line, I guess, and ruptures the coolant line, doesn't rupture the line itself, but puts dents in it. I guess one of the questions I always have is, is – uh, about why there hasn't been more issue so far. And this is part of Enbridge's argument, is that, yeah, it's been there for 65 years, and we haven't seen this catastrophic uh, mishap uh, take take place. Uh, why isn't that an argument for leaving it alone? Well, so when we started in this journey and we tried to get as much information as we could, uh, five or six years ago, um, we kept hearing the pipelines in pristine condition that is like new. And this is <clears throat> this is a problem with this industry. So they're very much self-reporting, self-regulating to the federal agency that oversees them. And so we tried down the information path to get the integrity of the pipeline, how often it's inspected, what those inspections are showing. And for years, we were we were hit with roadblocks. It wasn't actually until the state became a lot more involved because they have an easement agreement with Enbridge in this location mm-hmm. that we started to actually see substantial information on how the pipeline is maintained and its current integrity. And even then, there was a lot of misleading information coming up from Enbridge. Um, it wasn't until a year or so ago that we found out that this pristine condition is actually not true. So they have coding gaps in the pipeline and coding, protective coding is required by mm-hmm. the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have spans of the pipeline that have um, 
it's ovaled in some areas, which is a concern for its overall integrity. Talk, uh, talk more specifically about what that means. Yeah, so the pipeline is supposed to be pretty much a, a perfect circle, mm-hmm. and there's there's locations where the pipeline is actually bent into an, an oval, um, and that could be from any number of factors. Um, we actually don't know what caused that. It could have been from when it was laid in the in '53. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this information is just now coming out in the last year. Uh, the state has taken it somewhat seriously in the fact that they've created an advisory board and they're trying to oversee how to manage the pipeline if they need to replace it. Um, however, we know for a fact that uh, you know, the coating's missing. We're missing needed supports to, to prop the pipeline up from the currents. And uh, we now know that it has a huge risk factor of third parties, so anchor strikes. And uh, we're just not moving fast enough to make sure that we have an alternative in place. Yeah. Can yeah. I add to this? Go that ahead, Mary. In the documentary, we did speak to many experts. One of them, I know Beth knows him, Dr. Ed Tim, who's a metals expert. And he just said, hey, this thing should have lasted about, you know, 50 years. Mm-hmm. And that was as long as it was supposed to last. He studies steel. He studies these substances and he says, after a while, it just wears and it snaps. And after 65 years, it's time to either replace it or do something else. And many people we talked to just said it it's 65 years old and that is too old for that pipeline. And I think that, you know, so much of the work that NWF has, has done with, with divers going underneath, the, the fact that support beams were not in place. Right. I mean, there's just so many questions about this. One of the big issues that the recent incident with a 600-gallon chemical leak mm-hmm. that now is attributed to the Tug and Barge Company and that the Attorney General is taking legal action against is that we really cannot find out exactly what is going on underneath there and that it is self-reporting. Right. Mm-hmm. So we only really do have the eyes of Embridge. So actually I talked with PIMSA yesterday mm-hmm. just trying to get some real answers about how we find out exactly what is going on with power lines and pipelines. They are not in charge of power lines. So this recent incident power lines, PIMSA, the federal and is it federal agency that oversees pipelines, mm-hmm. um, does not oversee that. They oversee the pipelines, but and they do have regular inspections that they demand. But am I right? Only every five years are yeah. so our yeah. inspections, and that is Embridge. So right. Embridge's ROVs, which are robotic robotically operated vehicles, that is how we know about the condition of the Embridge pipelines. And that's the only thing we know. Right. Yeah. 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 And and, uh, talk about the alternatives to this. I mean, that that always is uh, the question that gets asked. If you shut down this pipeline, uh, it is carrying, I believe, mostly natural gas uh, and and, uh, uh, from, from Canada, uh, across the uh, across the straits, um, what what would uh, what would you do instead? Yeah, so this is a an oil pipeline. It transports oil and natural gas liquids, mm-hmm. and uh, this pipeline is one of many within the Great Lakes. If you were to look at the Embridge map, they have. Uh, five pipelines that run from Superior down to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're expanding and we're looping those lines all the time. In fact, they continue to do that since the 2010 spill. They expanded the, the pipeline that ruptured in 2010. Line 6B is now called Line 78. Mm-hmm. It's doubled in capacity. So this, this company has a very um, strong existing infrastructure that they could utilize. This 65-year-old pipeline 
has run its life. And I think that they should look at their existing infrastructure and try to uh, find a way to, to carry their own product to market. Michigan only really depends on a really small portion. So yeah, take, most of it is not coming here. It's correct. traveling through, right? Yeah, less than 5% is used um, in the UP as they convert the natural gas liquids into propane. And then less than 5% is utilized in our within our refineries in, in state. Mm -hmm. The rest goes into Sarnia and is, is refined and distributed. And it's important to understand the dynamic transportation of fossil fuels in our region. Um, one pipeline is not defined by our market. It's, it's very dynamic. And in fact, it, a lot of people would say that we, we are run, our prices are run by the, the world market, mm -hmm. not just mm -hmm. our region. So, um, so closing one pipeline and maybe having to reroute what you're sending through it probably mm -hmm. wouldn't have that much of an effect on right. prices that people would pay at, uh, yes. at and the, the state's report that they commissioned reiterated that yeah. uh, so we know that there's alternatives we can truck the small amount that we use for propane in the up mm -hmm. to the communities um, we it can be tra uh, transported by rail they estimated I, I believe a four inch pipeline could supply it if we wanted to build another pipeline for efficiency's sake um, it's the similar scenario in the Lower Peninsula. In fact, for the Lower Peninsula, the propane use is so, so small from Line 5 that there's really no cost uh, differential between having Line 5 there or not. Right. And just fact-checking, it's a 645-mile pipeline Correct. that goes from Superior, Wisconsin to Sarnia, Ontario. It carries 23 million gallons of oil and natural gas liquid every day every through day. the straits. Wow. Yep. And wow. To date, the pipeline inland has had 29 spills. Uh, Enbridge is very quick to say that they've never had an incident in the Straits of Mackinac, but mm -hmm. um, it but comes others. within miles, if not less, of Lake Superior, Lake Huron, Lake Michigan, all throughout its route, including major tributaries like the Asaba River. Mm -hmm. And so there's a risk. And in fact, if, if you look at the 2010 spill, um, you have to understand that that didn't happen in the Kalamazoo River. That happened in a wetland that right. overfilled into a creek. That went over. two miles down this creek and then went 40 miles down the Kalamazoo River. So there's a huge risk throughout this entire line. And while Enbridge will say that the, the Straits pipelines are very safe and thick, that's not the case with the inland sections that are, are very close to our, our More waterways. than 200 water crossings in this 645-mile wow. pipeline throughout wow. the Great Lakes throughout area. Throughout the Great Lakes. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Marianne Ge Mary Ellen Geist, uh, Detroit Public Television's Great Lakes Bureau Chief and producer of Detroit Public Television's Beneath the Surface, the Line 5 Pipeline in the Great Lakes, a documentary that premieres on DPTV tomorrow, Wednesday, at 10 p.m. with a roundtable discussion scheduled afterward. Also here is Beth Wallace. She is the Great Lakes Partnerships Manager for the National Wildlife Federation. We are talking about uh, Line 5 through the Mackinac Straits. We're talking about its future. We're talking about the documentary that l takes a look at the line and its potential to be shut down. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. It's 313-577-1019. What would you do about Line 5? And what do you think about what officials say about Line 5. We've got a lot of politicians who have 
weighed in on this question uh, over time, some more aggressively than others. Are you measuring politicians in this election year according to what they say about Line 5 and what you think they might do? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter, and we will work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Charlie in Royal Oak. Charlie, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning. Thank you, Stephen. Um, The one thing that always comes to my mind is Enbridge having had uh, a catastrophic uh, pipeline break in Kalamazoo, uh, Marshall some years ago, um, spent millions cleaning it up and probably millions in fines and should be more acutely aware than most pipeline operators of how expensive, you know, these accidents can be. Pipelines are all across our our country. And I would say the vast majority of breaks happen on land with excavations like the the accident in in Marshall. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as pipelines that, that, that are underwater, they are a big concern. I agree. Um, I'd hate to see that line get hit, but again, when you look at the history, um, it doesn't happen that often. And I'd also have to question, what would Enbridge's financial incentive be if they felt that line was risky? A spill on the Great Lakes from one of those lines would be, I don't know how many times more expensive than shutting down that line or coming up with an alternative. If they really felt it was risky, I would think, you know, they would shut it down. Now, that doesn't obviate the concern, but I think it it needs to be considered in that light as well. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. if the state of Michigan doesn't want pipelines under the water, well, then people need to get together and and work on that, uh, you know, through our legislative process. But, um, you know, it's an issue, but, you know, moving huge quantities of oil and barges on the Great Lakes is also an issue. And I would think the potential might even be higher for one of those type incidents. Uh, Charlie, uh, great call and and a lot of points there that I think uh, are, are worth discussing. I really, really appreciate uh, you listening and, and participating in the in the conversation uh, Mary Ellen and Beth, let's let's talk about what what Charlie is is raising here, which is that uh, overall, if you look at how frequently accidents happen, uh, it's not that high. It's not that high under the water. Uh, and then this question of what financial incentive Enbridge would have if it w- if there were real concerns about the line. What why would you keep it running given that they have to know that this would be a catastrophic accident uh, and cost them hundreds of millions of dollars is what I would do is what I would guess. Yeah. So quickly, I did you want to correct the situation that happened in Marshall? So mm-hmm. they had the spill. They yes, they were fined heavily. Um, however, it was a drop in the bucket compared to what this company brings in annually. Um, not only that, but the, the spill allowed them it opened a door to build a much larger pipeline next to their old pipeline that is now transporting triple what the old pipeline was transporting when the rupture happened. And so they actually came out ahead in many cases when that spill occurred. And and what made that possible? In other words, the spill made it possible for them to be able to get the clearances to build this larger, newer line. Correct. So the spill happened. A corrective action order was applied to Umbridge to 
to do certain repairs on that pipeline, one of which was the St. Clair River crossing. Right. That crossing is critical because it triggers presidential permits and all kinds of environmental reviews. But because it happened under the emergency order following that spill, um, those were pretty much bypassed. And it opened a door for Enbridge to replace that entire pipeline or build a new one right next to the old one. Mm-hmm. Um, piecemeal and increase the their state. capacity. Yeah, increased capacity. And all of the permitting stayed at the state level, and the permitting was pretty straightforward mm-hmm. for them. It happened very quickly. And so now they went from transporting um, product on a pipeline that was really restricted to having, again, triple the product flow from the original pipeline and its restricted flow. So they came out on top on that situation. And it it was eye-opening because it showed that um, when these incidents occur, that the penalties do not outweigh some of the benefits in the long run, mm. and, they, and they used that situation to their advantage. Mm-hmm. And, Something, and, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Mary. Well, I just want to, I really want to commend Ryan Duffy, who's a communication specialist for Enbridge, who was available to us throughout this documentary, mm-hmm. spoke to us at length, let us interview and let us have access to Enbridge. And he repeatedly says, you know, in 65 years, we've never had a leak along that line. Yes, we had inland spills, nothing mm-hmm. in the Great Lakes. And he talks about how the Marshall incident really changed the culture of Enbridge and they check it all the time and he's shown us you know video of them checking constantly along the line and we have in the documentary that you see tomorrow night an Enbridge exec saying this line is as safe as it was when it was built 65 years ago and I honestly believe they believe that but we know what's at risk and again even if that is true if there were an incident an outside incident however however much you inspect this we saw with that anchor dragging incident what could possibly happen? Right. And again, they say it's safe. There's no structural damage. There are only three dents. But I think that shocked people and made people want to do something. Now, we just talked about the money and Enbridge and the insurance. And what we know is happening right now, people who oppose this want to make a way for Enbridge to have to up the amount of insurance so that's astronomical, so that mm-hmm. they would have to pay for a spill that would right. damage the entire Great Lakes. Yeah. That is one of the ways that environmental activists are gathering together and with lawsuits to try to see if that will put an end so, to this. So line. let me ask you this question. Let's say there was a rupture in the line uh, underneath uh, underneath the, the, the straits. How, how quickly would it be detected? And then how quickly would Enbridge be able to just shut the line down so that it didn't continue to leak? That is all up in the, <laughs> up in Nobody the air. Nobody knows? So they, they will claim that they can detect it within minutes and that they will have the line shut down in minutes. But it's it's critical to understand that the valves are on either end of the shore. So there's four miles of four plus miles of pipe that have product in them that would potentially release product right. into the straits. So there's that. And then you, you can't just shut down a pipeline because that'll cause issues upstream mm-hmm. and potential ruptures upstream. And so they have to do it in a systematic way, and it'll take time for them to do that. So um, it's very optimistic to say that they can detect a leak and shut it down within a few minutes. Um, How long did it take for them to detect yeah, so in Marshall, Michigan? Yeah. They actually testified before Congress five, uh, 10 days prior to the release that they could detect a leak instantaneously, mm-hmm. and it took them 17 hours. And in fact, during that 17 hours, there were alarms going off, but they misinterpreted them. Human error was a huge factor. And that's a long time. Yeah, I mean, and they had... pumped more product through the pipeline trying yeah. to get past an error that they thought was calm separation, a bubble in the pipeline mm-hmm. impeding the flow. So they tried to push more product to go get past that bubble. And little did they know that they had a six-foot rupture in the line that was pushing more product into the environment mm-hmm. the entire time. And so there's a lot that can go wrong. And we learned from the spill that happened three weeks ago that 
uh, when something does go wrong, I mean, they, they rely a lot on surface sheen to give them an indicator on where product may be going. Mm-hmm. These pipelines in some locations are 300 feet below the surface of the water. And there was ice yeah. and snow. Right. Yes. And so surface sheen is can't be that's the main really, indicator. That's not a great No. That's and not a great detector. They never saw They knew there's product in the water. They never saw surface sheen, so there was really no response. Yeah. They just were on standby. Yeah. And I think it was a, a precursor of what could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie, again, thanks very much for the call and, and the questions there. Let's go to Arn in Detroit. Arn, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks. Hey. Um, I am, uh, I'm an aircraft mechanic and I am accustomed to a state or federal body coming in and looking at my work whenever they want to. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why we are not, I know that pipelines are regulated by the DOT. I wonder why we're in a position where we have to rely on Enbridge's eyes, why we don't have either national or state, and it might be naive, mm-hmm. I don't know if the funding's there, but why we have to rely on only their inspection ROVs, why, why there isn't something else. That's a great question, Arn. Why does the regulatory environment for this pipeline and pipelines like it look different than it does for airlines or are there other things that the federal government oversees? This recent incident um, with American Transmission Company, um, they are send, they are paying for their ROVs to go down there mm-hmm. and actually hiring companies to do this. Enbridge has its very own expensive ROVs that they use to go down there. It is my belief that it's the money mm-hmm. and that the state can't have all this technology at hand to go explore these pipelines on a regular basis. They've worked out a deal with PIMSA to self-regulate. And, I mean, my only thought is that it has to be financial. But that that the might state have doesn't have the money to, to be to able do, to do it? The state and even the federal there, government. There's also this question of, of uh, jurisdiction, right? Yeah. There, there are some things that fall under state oversight, but many more things, uh, by my understanding, that fall under federal oversight, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so the operation of the pipeline is federally regulated by the Pipeline Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, so PHMSA. And so any type of operation that happens, they have rules, regulations, or standards that they have to meet. However, um, this 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 self-reporting. So um, if the pipeline falls within a sensitive location, the straits being one because it's navigable water and drinking water, uh, then they have to report um, inspections every five years. If it doesn't fall into the sensitive location, then they never have to report back to FIMSA. Um, what the integrity of the pipeline is. They really don't even have to inspect it all that often. Uh, Because there's so much attention on Line 5 in the Straits, and the state has some authority with an easement agreement that has some safety features to it, um, that the state has become involved and pushed Enbridge to inspect it a lot more than uh, is federally required. And I think to the caller's point, there's there's a much larger issue with the agency FIMSA where they have... um, uh, in fact, it was recently report, reported that has has it been taken over this revolving door where there's a lot of oil industry um, ex employees that have gone into FIMSA or FIMSA employees that have gone out into the oil um, and gas industry, and it creates a lot of conflicting uh, perspectives. and And we also have this this uh, strange situation happening at a federal level where uh, regulation is just not looked upon right. as a good thing. Yeah. And so that, we've got an, an administration that is yeah. busy shredding through all kinds of uh, regulation that we've had for a long time. Yeah. So FIMSA's had on their dock for a long time 
pipeline safety regulations that they need to push through and improve. And those have pretty much been told to be put on hold. If you create one, get rid of two mm-hmm. type situation. And so we, uh, we not only have the companies self-regulating and self-reporting, um, but we have an agency that's understaffed and being told to do less. Right, right. Uh, again, Arne, thanks very much for the call and the questions. Let's go to Michelle in Detroit. Michelle, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Good morning. Hi, this how are you? This is Michelle Oberholzer. I wanted to oh, talk hey, Michelle. about... Yeah, hi. Senate Bill 652 and 653 just passed the Senate and Michigan legislature, and these are referred to as the fox guarding the hen house because they would actually allow industry to be the oversight body for a lot of, you know, industry and, and manufacturing things that go on in the state. So we're actually pending, have pending legislation that would weaken our oversight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just really important that we stay on top of this stuff because um, to the point of the earlier caller, if there are those uh, checks and balances in place, then the incentive to take greater risk is going to be there for these companies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great, uh, great point, Michelle. That also gets to this question of, uh, where our various elected officials, public officials, stand on the future of the pipeline. And it gets a little confusing, I think. Uh, there are a lot of folks who are pretty good or have gotten pretty good at mustering the rhetoric uh, that that would seem to make the most sense about what the future should be. But we don't see a whole lot of action, I feel like, uh, either from the governor's office or or from the attorney general. That's true. And um, actually, you know, recently, since the incident in the Straits, um, most recently the chemical leak, we have seen more lawmakers coming forward. So, and correct me if I'm right, because things can change even overnight. (laughs) There's a lot going on. But um, if I'm wrong, correct me, please. Um, But we have U.S. Senator Gary Peters going, saying this thing should be shut down. But I don't see any specific legislation. Is that correct? Yeah, he's tried to work some uh, protections in through Congress, but it's mm-hmm. it's a hostile environment right now for yeah. that. And yeah. Debbie Stabenow as well, our U.S. Senator. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Debbie Dingell saying that she, you know, it's time to take action on this. We know that Governor Snyder, you know, while the Pipeline Safety Advisory Board was working hard and getting public input, Governor right. Snyder made a deal behind closed doors mm-hmm. with Enbridge, and he is pushing for the underwater tunnel as the future. That's that's what he's put his support behind. And they're sort of moving forward as if that's what's going to happen. And he also... And the underwater safety, tunnel is yeah. the idea that you can somehow encase the current pipeline so that if there was a spill, it would be contained. Is that, is that yes. an accurate mm-hmm. description of and that? And that is what Governor Snyder and a lot of people who he works with and who may be in power in the future... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> are, are um, leaning toward. And yeah. so it is the feeling among many people in the environmental community and, you know, who are watching this that that is what the state of Michigan is going to move toward, yeah. is an underwater tunnel, which would bring a lot of jobs to Michigan, and Enbridge would have to pay billions of dollars to build that tunnel underneath the Straits of Mackinac. Right. But and the question is how safe that would be or whether that's a better alternative than stopping Or if the it could even go through the permitting process. I mean, a lot of people are predicting that It'll take years just to address permitting, and then it'll be held up in courts as people fight it legally mm. uh, because there are really strict rules about Submerged Land Act and, and how, you, how you treat our waterways, and uh, we can't just bypass those. Right. And so it's, I mean, this, this situation, a lot of people have shifted. It's bipartisan. Some state lawmakers 
um, Republicans and Democrats alike have come out saying we need to actually shut the pipeline down, decommission it, revoke the easement, or at least get get to the point where we're starting to revoke the easement and then come up with a solution because the risk factors are obviously much higher than we anticipated when the state came out with a report uh, right. about a year ago. Right. Okay. Uh, Mary Ellen Geist, a producer of Beneath the Surface and Detroit Public Television Great Lakes Bureau Chief. Beth Wallace, Great Lakes Partnership Manager with the National Wildlife Federation. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. And remember, Beneath the Surface, the Line 5 Pipeline in the Great Lakes premieres on Detroit Public Television tomorrow. That's Wednesday at 10 p.m. There will be a roundtable discussion afterward hosted by my co-host on my week, Christy McDonald. Up next, we're going to talk to the new COO of the Regional Transit Authority about their latest plan to woo voters this fall. And don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you do not have to miss out. You can go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you. Listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.